Welcome into another episode of Bill's Pod Squad. Maddie Glab here with my co-host, Bill's owner and president, Kim Pagula, as we get ready for Wild Card Weekend. Whoop, whoop, we've made it. Made it through 18 weeks of the regular season, and here come the playoffs. A crazy week for all of us, not just because it's the playoffs, but also because we are playing on Saturday night. That means we get one last day to do all of our prep, one last day for the players, one last day for us. So Kim, I'm sure that means it's been a very crazy week for you. So what does your week look like as we lead up to Saturday night's kickoff? Well, believe it or not, my week, you know, is actually has been most about what happens after this game, which Mm -hmm. I know people tell you don't get ahead of yourself, but unfortunately playoffs um, on at least, especially on the business side is not about one game at a time, like it is in football, um, but it's more about planning in, um, in terms of the playoff run Super Bowl. So believe it or not, you have to plan for these things ahead of time. Um, even before you play that first playoff game. So actually I have been doing this week, a lot of playoff and Super Bowl planning um, just because as you know, it's going to come fast and furious and you know, you've got to be ready to win. And so we are, are hoping for the best and we're going to be ready uh, for all those wins. And then, you know, there's Super Bowl and it just, it just becomes a fire hose. And so we learned last year, which was actually, you know, it was a good learning experience of, of the postseason kind of processes and things you have to think through and, and think about and plan for. But it, we were still in the, in COVID with a very limited amount of, of fans. It was a home playoff game for us, but a very limited amount of fans. Um, and then going all the way to the AFC championship, all the things you had to prepare for. So got a little bit under our belt from last year, but this year, again, different because of full stadiums, um, because we have a home, we have an away, um, you know, obviously still a lot of unknowns. And then of course, um, you know, sometimes, you know, as you're planning, uh, you know, Super Bowl, it's a little bit different if you're last year was Tampa, which is a little bit closer. Um, so there's different challenges where now this year is going to be in LA. So if we are, you know, able to get to that big game, um, it looks a little bit different than it did last year. So a lot of planning, a, a lot of wishful thinking, and, um, you know, a lot, a lot of hoping uh, at, at the end, but we're going to be ready. We are, we're going to be ready. Yeah, I hope all this wishful thinking comes true and all this planning is for something and, and not for nothing. Uh, hopefully we get all the way through to the planning. I know that starts way before the Super Bowl actually happens. And for those who are listening, yes, you do have to plan for the Super Bowl as early as this week. And they've already been planning because there's so much that goes into that entire week. It's really like a show. It's not just a game. It's like a show that includes like a week worth of stuff leading up to the game. So yeah, totally a lot of planning, a lot of prep, a lot of things to think about, a lot of logistics um, to sort through. But I want to also ask you just about the fact that we are playing at home in the playoffs. I know last year we had 6,700 people in our stands for our home playoff game, which was wonderful and which was so special after a regular season of no fans to be able to have fans and to see how that actually all came together. Like, I feel like it feels forever ago where everybody got tested the 6700 people had to get tested that showed negative covid test like 
that all happened within such a short span of time too. I remember leading up to it, it was like, is this going to work? Like, is everybody going to get tested in the right amount of time? Sometimes you can't predict when tests come back. I mean, how all that panned out and came together, it was a surreal, unique, so awesome moment to see everybody at the stadium together for that first home playoff game. But now you just add like 60,000 people plus to the mix. Uh, over 70,000 people will probably have at Highmark Stadium this weekend in the freezing cold. I mean, what do you think that's going to be like? It actually, Maddie, it's actually easier with that amount of people <laughs> than it was with the 6,700 last year. Last year leading up to the that game was just, you know, craziness, like you said, with the with the testing and the drive-through and, and the tests and all the guidelines and rules and regulations and the limited amount of ticketing and who gets what and, and all of that stuff. So I felt like it, that, that game came real quick because we were so busy in the preparation. This year... We don't have to do that. It's like a home game, but just hyped up. And so we've been prepared all year. Last year, if you recall, like we had no fans all season. And then all of a sudden, it was only 6,700. But that was the first time in months that we had, I mean, if you talk about almost, you know, a full year that we had ever even hosted a game. Um, so because we've been hosting games all year long this season, um, it does feel a little bit calmer, more like a regular schedule. But that eight o'clock game, it just is like, oh, it seems like it's going to take forever to get here. Yeah. So that that is a that is a little bit different in that. But I recall last year that sixty seven hundred felt like a seventy thousand crowd. Um, just that that energy there, you know, the banging on the seats. Um, it just was it, it just was such a, a cool moment um, this time around. Um, I still think, listen, this is the first time our fans have been able to really, really attend um, a playoff game, a home playoff game. Uh, it, it's been twice in a row, but it's the first one with a full stadium. So um, I think they will be loud. I think there will be so much excitement. And honestly, I, I know the Patriots are kind of a pain in our side, but <laughs> I know our fans really get up even more so for a Patriot down. So um, I think we got a lot of that excitement going on uh, come Saturday night. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to layer up. I, I don't know. You know, um, I, I think, you know, we're going to try to see there's some logistical issues, uh, as, as you know, due to the cold weather, you got, you know, the ground kind of freezing, you got mm -hmm. a lot of um, worry about health and safety issues, you know, related to the weather. Um, so all that prep work is being done. Um, I'm certainly going to layer up as much as possible, but may not do my usual um, pregame routine, um, hanging down uh, on the sideline, greeting fans and, and partners for as long as I usually do. Yeah, I think I'm going to do a quick walk over to the stadium, see what's going on, say hello to some people, check out warm ups, and then I'm going to get my butt back inside before I get too cold. Um, so to the fans that are going to be outside for the entire game, you guys are the real ones. You are the MVPs of this game. Our players are going to appreciate you so much for the loud that you're able, for the noise that you're able to create with how loud you guys are going to be. Um, we are so thankful for everybody who's going to be outside. I cannot imagine standing outside through that game. Nope. But I'm happy we're going to have a full stadium. We, um, like I said, I am glad as we talked about, uh, with Jim and with uh, many of our guests this whole season, 
this season has been, the regular season has been crazy. Um, no guarantees of, of any games. Um, doesn't matter what your record was or what it was uh, before or who what the matchups was. It's just been crazy throughout the whole league. Um, so to be here at a home playoff game um, just just really means a lot, I know, to our players, um, to our staff, and you know, to the whole Western New York. So it's a place to be. I'm going to be there. It is. I cannot wait. Well, we'll get to our interview right away. We have Jim Rome on with us this week. You guys know him from the Jim Rome show that he has on CBS Sports Radio. He's had quite a few Bills players on his show throughout the entire season and has some pretty cool ties to Buffalo dating back to the 90s. So here's Jim. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast this week for us. We definitely wanted to get somebody who had a grasp of the NFL as a whole and also maybe some ties to Buffalo for this one as we preview Super Wild Card Weekend, a big matchup against the Patriots in this one. Uh, not often do you get to play a team three times in a year and play them in December and January. The last time the Bills played the Patriots for the playoffs, it was in 1963. So here we are, 2022, doing it again. What are some of your early thoughts on this matchup based on what you've seen from these two teams this season and also the previous two meetings between them? All right, so ladies, first things first, it is an honor and a privilege to be on this podcast. However, I do have to ask the question, this is one of the biggest home games in years for the Buffalo Bills. Is there not somebody more important and somebody better to talk to than me? No, because you are, you sound the best of, uh, of anyone else that we've had. So that voice, your voice is so recognizable, <laughs> okay. but, but no, no, you are someone that we've been wanting on the show all year and a playoff game is is a special event, so you are our honored guest. Yeah, it is. I appreciate that so much, too. I Hey, listen, I, I've done this a long, long time, and I've always said that they pay me to be objective. I do not play favorites. I get this all the time. Hey, Rome, who's your favorite team? Hey, Rome, who's your favorite guy? Who's your favorite athlete? And I always say they pay me to be objective. I do not have favorites. My favorite team is team content. I have to find something to talk about for three hours every single day. I do not play favorites. That said, it's kind of a lie. The Bills have always been one of my favorites for a <laughs> multitude of reasons. And Maddie hit on this. Like this show, I've done the show a long time and I've always done really well for whatever reason in that region, but also with the franchise. This is a great team to do business with. I've always interacted really well with the team. And this goes back to the 90s now. I mean, I would have Marv Levy on the show. I would have Jim Kelly on the show. I would have Thurman Thomas on the show. Cornelius Bennett was always one of my favorites. Daryl Talley came to an appearance. I love this franchise. I love the region. I love the Bills Mafia. And I just really think that the NFL, and I'm not saying this because of this is where I am, I feel like this league is better when the Buffalo Bills are good. And even when the Bills were not good, those fans were out there every single Sunday in the elements. I have incredible respect and admiration for everything about the team, the organization, and the region, which brings us to Saturday, and it's all going to be there. A fierce rival, a third matchup, less than two months. I think it's the game of the weekend. I cannot wait. I think it's going to be awesome. And the weather. Last time we played the Patriots, the weather was certainly a factor. It's going to be a little bit different, but the weather can still be a factor in this game as well. I think the element's always going to be a factor, right? So who does that favor? Who does that, where does the advantage go? The one thing I really like about the Bills right now, I like the balance I've seen of late. Like, 
Josh Allen's Superman, right? I mean, the guy, there's nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that he's not afraid to try. But I think that what he understands, and everybody does understand, he doesn't need to do it all by himself. And I love the balance that I've seen offensively. This time of year in those elements, you got to pound that football. And I think that with the run game being what it is right now, certainly it's going to be a factor with the weather. But I know you can run it between the tackles. And then if the weather is a factor, Hey, you might as well have a stud like Josh Allen, who we know can rip it and throw it through the wind. I don't know. I, I really like Mac Jones. I really respect him. But I don't think that he's got those superhuman powers that Josh does. So I think it's going to be a factor, but I think it's going to favor the Bills. Yeah, we'll see how weather plays into it all and, and you know, just what our fans are up to if they can stand outside for that long in, in the small temps that it's going to be zero four degrees whatever it's going to be it doesn't matter for bill's mafia because they'll be out there um which you know bill's mafia really well uh what have been your interactions with this fan base what do you think saturday is going to look like knowing that you've done some tour stops in buffalo and have interacted with these fans quite a bit through yeah. through the shows through meeting them um whatever it may be they're they're fierce they're fierce. I mean, they are fierce. And I, you know, I'm a Los Angeles native. I'm a SoCal through and through. I make no bones about this. I'd never even been in the cold weather before like the mid nineties until when the show started to take form and I started to travel around and do appearances and I would go to these affiliated markets. All of a sudden I was in the Midwest and I was on the Northeast in the Northeast. I just never been in weather like that before. And I go back a couple of years to the AFC championship game when I was in Kansas city. And I'm telling you, I'm here to say, I'm still not right. I was on camera maybe five minutes, but I was outside for the better part of 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And guys, it, it was a really strange sensation. It was kind of scary to me then. Now it's funny, but I'm as part of the NFL today on CBS, I'm outside and it's a small hit. Like the real estate is not big. It's big because the audience is big and the game is huge, but in real time, it's only about five minutes, but I'm out there about an hour. I'm psyching myself up. I'm psyching myself up. I think I'm ready. And then when they go to me, my jaw was locked. Like I was like, ah, 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 ah. And I'm like, am I having a stroke? Am I, is something really wrong? And I know all of America can see, can see that I can't even speak. And this because I was outside for 30 minutes or 45 minutes in Kansas City. So the mafia, this is a way of life. How, how do you go outside for three hours shirtless in that element. I'm sure the liquor has something to do with it, but I got a feeling they're fueling up before the game for several hours. Yeah. So I, I, they're, they're much better than me. They're much tougher than me. They're much stronger than me. And that whole thing about how the fans are as tough as the guys on the field, I want to say, no, they're not. Nobody is, but the Bills Mafia might be. And I think they want it as badly as the Bills. And I think that in some ways they are as tough as the Bills. And I think the Mafia, if I remember the game last year, if there were 6,500 or 7,000 people and you could feel that buzz and that energy, I can only imagine what 74,000 members of a fueled up Mafia is going to be like against their bitter rival. I, I'm glad that I'll be watching from the warmth of my home. But I have nothing but respect for those people out there. Especially a Monday night, um, not a Monday night game, a night game, sorry, a night yeah. team, uh, because that even makes it more electric in the dark under the lights. Um, but but Jim, you know, Josh Allen is a Southern California guy. Uh, I remember when we were uh, his draft year, we're like, OK, who who's coming up? What are the names? You know, and Joshua, where is he from? California. We're like, oh, California guy. Like, how is he going to connect with Buffalo and the weather? And then it's like, well, where do you go to school? 
Wyoming. We're like, right. okay, there's a chance. He's got a chance, right? And so it's certainly, uh, certainly he has adapted, even though he's from California. Um, maybe you need some tips from him on how to adapt uh, from being in California. It, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't, it, would, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter. They were like, it, you've got this under control, right? You, uh, you're prepared for this, right? I'm like, this how hard can this be i'm gonna put on a scarf and i'm gonna wear my suit i'm gonna have an overcoat i I literally had no idea like i i'm still not right i still don't have feeling like in three of my toes i don't think i'm ever gonna be right ever again but i mean josh he he's a different breed now like wyoming i think wyoming had something to do with it i will say this we had a home in montana for the better part of 10 years so i started to get more and more acclimated like i understand the cold weather but you don't ever really get used to it, do you? I mean, you guys live and work there. Do you ever really get used to it? All right. I got to admit, I'm in Florida right now. Okay, <laughs> so, there you go. So I am cheating. I am cheating a little bit. No, but, you don't You don't get used to it. I was talking to Dion Dawkins the other day after practice, and he was like, I took my garbage out last night, and I was thinking to myself, it's going to be colder than it is right now. And I'm freezing, taking my garbage out. He's like, I can't remember the last time it was this cold in Buffalo. Of course, today it was like 40, 40 degrees and not too terrible. Um, but Jim, you touch on Josh. There's so many different players on this team that really are a part of why this team is so good and so successful from the offense to the defense. You have guys like Jordan Poyer on your show all the time. What do you like about this roster? And what do you like about this roster and the play? playoffs i think first of all i want to say i want to thank you for the access not every team is willing to share their players or have the kind of quality players with the integrity and the character that are willing to do it especially as time goes on like the business has changed so dramatically that it used to be we were the conduit the media was the conduit and there wasn't social media and guys did not have their own platforms and if they wanted to communicate with the fans they had to communicate through the media so in in reality Part of me wants to say they don't really need us the way they used to need us, but the bills still come on and Jordan Poyer still comes on and guys still come on. I just think there's so much character in that locker room. Like I'm not in it, but I think there's so much character and there's so much veteran leadership. And I see guys picking each other up. I see guys playing for each other. I see guys who really, really care. I see professionals in the way they go about the business. And I just think it really is. It's overused but I think it's culture. Like Sean McDermott's not a guy that I've spoken to or spent time with, but you can see where it starts at the top and I can see where these guys love each other. So like the Josh Allen thing is amazing to me. I think when you look at him physically, he can just do things that other guys can never do. But what I'm really struck by is how much his teammates love him. They love him. And I think the reason for that is he's willing to do anything to win and he's one of them. So what I like best about the Bills Top down. I love the structure. I love the coaching staff. I love the grit. I love the heart, but I just love the character and the personality of these guys in the locker room on both sides of the ball. Jim, you talked about kind of the change of the the business of football. You've been at this for for many years. And, you know, before they talked about social media and and things like that, how, you know, your role as in the media and broadcast, um, how has that changed over the years? Are you still a diehard traditionalist? Um, You know, your shows that you have on, but like, you know, now you've got Twitter and you've got even TikTok and you've got other areas that, you probably um, didn't, you know, think about when you started your career. Um, how is how has your own career evolved over the last several years? 
It's a really interesting question, and it's a really challenging thing. And I, to be honest with you, I have not completely nailed it or figured it out yet because the world is so dynamic and it's so changing. Like when I first came up, I mean, I hate to age myself, but I've done this long enough that when I first got my first big break on a radio station in San Diego in December, oh, here goes, December of 1990, literally, there was one all sports station in America, which was WFAN. The station I got my break on was 690 AM, which was just going to flip the switch and become the second. I mean, can you imagine a world where there's two sports stations in America? There is no internet. There is no social media. There is no other way to get your information. And we're all funneling into these two stations. Like imagine thousands of people trying to be in the business to get those four or five or six jobs. And that was the only way to do it. And then flash ahead and then the, the format changes and all of a sudden there's two sports stations in a market then there's four then there's social media and now you got to feed every single beast like it used to be that when i came up i had a radio show for four hours a day and then i had a tv show on espn and people would have to watch things at night and say oh man you know i, I hate rome or i love rome but i gotta hear what rome's gonna say and i have to wait until one o'clock the next day now, if they have to wait more than 30 seconds, you're already chasing and you're behind. So how am I supposed to feed all these animals? You know, it's the three-hour radio show, and then there's a podcast, and then there's Twitter, and then there's Instagram, and then there's TikTok, and whatever the next big social platform is, how can we be something to everybody and feed the beast all day, every day? And the truth is, I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't want to be the old guy who gets run down. This is why I'm still busting my ass, slamming coffee and grinding because I want to stay in the game as long as I can, but the game is changing and you have to figure it out. And that's a real challenge. I can't lie. Well, you are still at the top of your game despite all the different changes that you just laid out for us. And I think that goes back to, you know, you, you love uh, Buffalo, you love the fan base. I think they, they really respond to you because I think you keep it real. You know, if there's anything else, I think that's what, you know, Bill's Mafia and our, our market really appreciates and loves people that keep it real, that, that what you see is what you get. And I, I think that our fan base actually, you know, sees that from you. Um, and I think that's why not just our fan base, but, you know, uh, sports fans around the country, um, why you still at the top of your game, despite all the changes in our media. No, I appreciate that. I think that what it, here's the thing about keeping it real. Like you want to keep it real. And I always understood, like, I, I never, ever said junk just to say junk, to get people to look at me and react to me. Like I, I took this very seriously. I always thought that there was a great responsibility that came along with having a microphone in your face or a camera and that I wanted to be authentic and real. And I learned early on in my life that if you had a, a very distinct point of view and you were aggressive and you were strong, but it was well thought out and it was intelligent and there was something behind it. I could live with the consequences. Like no matter what, I don't care who you are. You can be the most abrasive or you can be the most vanilla person in the world. X will hate X will hate. If you have a camera in front of you or you're anybody of any kind of public notoriety, X will hate and X will love, but I want to be true to myself and I want to be authentic. However, and as I got older and time went on, I want to make sure that it wasn't contrived and it wasn't manufactured and sorry to curse. I just want to make sure it wasn't bull. Because people can sniff that out. People know that. 
So I think that I've resonated in certain markets. And I think in your market, because people like that kind of grit and that toughness. And the other thing too, I wasn't going to be one of those guys who conveniently got on the air in Los Angeles and just started sniping at the likes of Buffalo or at Nebraska. I'm like, I don't know these people. I've never been there, but wait a minute. I went there and I'm treated so well. And these people are so nice and they care so much. Why are you going to sit here and take shots at people you've never met? So they had an open mind to me. I had an open mind to them. And they were really receptive and it's always been great. And by the way, some of my best callers are from that region. And I've got a lot of really crappy callers. So I'm gonna appreciate the ones that are good. And even though usually the biggest line ever is to cut the line, you get to cut the line on my show if you're good. Best callers go right to the front. And some of the best ones are from your part of the world. All right, some great tips, Maddie. I know, right? I love that. And I'm sure, you know, Buffalo people love to follow you and listen to your show because like you said, you've had people on since the 90s. You've talked to guys like Thurman Thomas, guys like Cornelius Bennett, Marv Levy, names that still mean a lot here to Buffalo, names that are still around Buffalo quite frequently. So covering this team and, and getting to interview guys like that, what has it been like to watch the evolution of the Buffalo Bills since those 90s days? I think it's great. I think it's great. And can I, I want to make one more point too about the Bills. And I think the fans maybe understood this. Back in the day when it was so easy to take shots at Buffalo for losing four Super Bowls, and I was not doing this to be a contrarian. I'm like, do you have any idea how good of a team you have to be to lose four Super Bowls? Do you have any idea how good of an organization you have to be to lose four Super Bowls? I'm like, why am I the only one who thinks this? Why am I the only one who gets this? Four Super Bowls? To get to four Super Bowls, even if you lose, is incredible. I never understood that whole thing about, well, if you lose, you're not the second best team. You're the worst team ever. So I always had great and profound respect for the organization. And as I mentioned, even in the years where the team was not as good, the fans kept coming out and then you built it back up. Like, listen, I don't think that it's a surprise that some organizations suck and they continue to suck because they don't know what they're doing. And then you've got some that do it the right way and build it the right way and hire the right people to do the right things. And that's what I'm seeing right now. And I just see guys who care. I see, I, I see a good mix too. I see good young talent, good drafting, and I see the right pros and vets that are teaching the young guys how to come along. I talked to a guy yesterday that you guys had on recently and Eric Wood. I think he's a great example. Like he's a great great Buffalo Bill. Like he played there, his career ended suddenly. He wants to be there. He wants to be back there. He doesn't want to leave there when a guy like that could go anywhere he wants. So I just, I just think that it speaks to the quality of the organization, the team and the community, the entire experience. And then it all comes together on a freezing cold night, Saturday night against your bitter rival to be like, I'm in California and I'm hyped up. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. What do you think about this new rival? Not really new rivalry, but of the last couple of years, I mean, this Patriots-Bills matchup has definitely ramped up a bit than when it than where it was maybe five years ago when the Bills necessarily couldn't compete at the level that they can right now with teams like the Patriots. Of course, Tom Brady is no longer a New England Patriot, but you still have Bill Belichick. You still have a, a stout defense. You still have all the money that he poured into the team over free agency. So what have you thought of the last couple of years 
with the Bills and the New England Patriots and, and their matchup. Now, the Bills win the AFC East the last two years, but still the Patriots show that they can be very competitive, especially this year with the run that they made, winning seven straight, I want to say, before going one of three to end the season. I, I think it's fascinating, right? I, I have to admit, I'm not, I don't like those contrived, manufactured, hot take factory conversations, but I thought there was something pretty interesting about that. Was it the coach or was it the quarterback? Was it the hood or was it the goat? And how ironic that Tom Brady busts out and wins a championship in his first year away from Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick struggles. And there's your answer right there. And shouldn't we have known better than to throw dirt on the goat, the coach, you know, Bill Belichick, because all of a sudden they come back and they have this, he spends money, a lot of money, and they have a brilliant draft pick. And then all of a sudden, like this guy's back in position this year. To your point, Maddie, they've got the stout defense. I'm like, we, we should have known better. And then here are the Bills, and we thought it was their time. They got to the AFC Championship game. It's natural, it's logical, and they're seven and six. What's going on here? Maybe the more things change, the more they stay exactly the same. And then it flips again. You know, they get you guys in your place. You get them in their place. And now we come down the stretch and you've won four in a row and they've lost four of their last five and you're playing your best ball. And now what's going to happen? I mean, the NFL is just so crazy like that, right? The, the only uncertainty, the only thing that is certain is that we don't really know. So I'm not going to write them off. I know that if I have to pick I like you. I, I just like the Bills a lot. I really do. I'm not, I'm not going to hedge straight up. I like them. I like them at home. I, I don't want to look beyond this game. You know, I think that you got your work cut out for them. But in this specific matchup, I have a lot of respect for Belichick, his ability to change up and make really good quarterbacks look really bad, except I think we know the Pats better get out in front and they better play with a lead and they better use that play action. They better spin the clock and keep Josh and the fellas off the field because if they need Mac Jones to win that game, I don't think he can do it. Now we've had, obviously we've had some tough games as you pointed out, but there has been a lot of those types of games around the whole league. What are some of the big stories or content that you've been following or that really surprised you in this regular season and leading into the playoffs? Um, not just with the Bills and, and the Patriots coming up, but this whole year has been a surprising year. Um, not only with you got COVID and fans coming back, uh, but it's just been um, a lot of ups and downs for, for many teams and even really some, some early surprises uh, at the beginning of the season that I know seems so far away now, but uh, thinking back on the whole season, um, this was a crazy year for the NFL. So wild, right? It's so, so wild. Like the NFL, the NFL is still the biggest thing in the world. It just is. It's the biggest thing in the world. It drives content. We can talk about it year round. COVID obviously changed everything, but from week to week, you never really knew, you know, like it, it's kind of funny to talk about, for instance, gambling. It was so taboo for so long. And then we start to kind of delve into it a little bit because it's become such a big thing, right? It just, it is. And then when you look at the games and you try and watch the way you watch games when you play and it's just so different, but week to week, there's nothing that you could count on. Like for a time I was really enamored with, the Arizona Cardinals. And when people are saying, no, no, they're never going to finish. They're not like that. I'm like, no, this year's different. This year's different. They are very different. Kyler Murray is like the most electric guy in the league to me. And then DeAndre Hopkins goes down and they don't finish well at the end of the year. And then everybody says, yeah, well, what about your cards now? And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess they got to answer those questions again. 
So right when you think that they're the team to beat, right when you think that Green Bay is going to unravel, remember all the morons who after week one were burying Aaron Rodgers and talking about, you see, you see, he's not about team. He's not about that anymore. He's all about Zen. He doesn't think. I mean, can you imagine burying the MVP and then he comes back and he's going to win it again? I mean, everything is so crazy and dramatic week to week. If you're going to ask me what my favorite compelling storylines are, I do like that Green Bay thing. I really like the Aaron Rodgers. He is still there. He's playing at a very high level. He obviously has gone through some real soul searching. Is he going to walk off on this? Are they going to get it done right now? What's going to happen in the championship game? I think that's really intriguing. I love the Green Bay angle. I'm here in LA or I'm in Orange County, but the Rams have done everything they possibly could to go all in so they could host the Super Bowl. But, you know, they've got some flaws as well, so I'm not sure about that. For Dallas, for a while, we thought, this is it. Jarrah is finally going to get over. I don't trust them fully. I mean, I guess what I'm saying, ladies, I don't don't think there's that one team that has separated itself from everybody else. I think anybody is beatable, but anybody can beat anybody else. It sounds really lame and cliche, but I think it really is that wide open, which makes it really compelling. That that game against the Chargers and the Raiders last week was, it, it was a thrilling game. It was, you know, I don't care how late it went. Uh, it, it just was, it was a great game of, of a last season game. And I think everything that, that the NFL would want to see, you know, the, the matchup and going right down to the wire with implications of playoffs for, for several teams. Um, it, it was such a great game to watch and be a part of. And again, like you said, the, the NFL just, being able to put those types of games on, uh, the parity between the different teams, um, that that's what really, I mean, it makes football so much fun. Um, you just, it, you gotta be watching. That, that game was crazy. That, that was so wild. Like that that whole talk, it was such an asinine conversation, right? The whole week long, like, what if they both knee it out? What if they both agree to, to have a tie? I mean, it was just, it was just so absurd until the very end of the game when it was not absurd. And we're all like, this could happen. They literally could need out. Could you imagine being Ben Roethlisberger and going through everything that he's gone through for his entire career? And he's sitting at home watching this like, well, wait a minute. I mean, this could end in a tie. And my career is going to end with me on the outside looking in because these two teams tied. And maybe, maybe they are going to tie. And if Brandon Staley doesn't call that timeout late, is it possible if they could really tie? I mean, what a weird and whack and unbelievable thing that could have been. And it could have been. I mean, how wild would that have been? That was, I, I, I stayed up to watch the whole thing. Well, we were go. watching it. We were watching it outside, Kim. After the game, we stayed out and like put a bunch of cars together. This is now like late at night. Everybody gets done with their work. We're like celebrating that we won the AFC East and also watching the game like on a phone and everybody's freezing. But we're like, we have to finish this game. We have to see how it ends. Like, are they going to tie? What's going to happen here? Uh, which was just hilarious. You know, Buffalo people watching football outside and like freezing temperatures. It just fits for some reason. But right. with all the craziness that we've just discussed, there's also been like a lot of hot streaks for teams. You talked about the streak that the Cardinals had, the the Buffalo Bills finished on a four game win streak. The Patriots had a long win streak going there in the middle of the season, but then they finish out the opposite way. Do you believe in peaking at the right time? Yes, I do. I a hundred percent do. I don't, I don't think that you can set it up. I mean, obviously that'd be ideal if you could peak at the right time. 
I don't think the best team always wins. I think the hottest team often wins. And if you can get hot at the right time and you can get healthy at the right time, I think there is something to momentum. I think there's something to peaking at the right time. I think when I look at the Bills, I think they're playing some of their best football at the right time. I think you guys are relatively healthy, except for Tredavious, obviously. I think that the Patriots are not peaking at the right time. I think momentum is a thing. I think that's why, like Green Bay, when Aaron Rodgers took the field in a game where they had already clinched the first seed, everybody was freaking out, like, what are they doing? Why is Matt LaFleur, why does he have him out there? What if something happens? fair question but because they want to make sure that they maintain some of that momentum and that they're not doing nothing for three weeks and they have some of that positive rhythm and momentum coming in so yes I do I think that peaking at the right time is really important you know in terms of team streaking it it may or may not matter right how about Miami I'm fascinated by that like I, I don't know about the dynamics and I'm sure Kim maybe you have a better feeling for this than I do but how do you rip off like seven in a row and then your coach gets fired when they got, I mean, granted, they got off to a really bad start, but it doesn't guarantee anything at all. I'm, I'm really fascinated by the coaching carousel. It used to be no matter what, you get three years, you get three years, but there's so much pressure and there's so much impatience and winning does not guarantee anything. I see, I look at the Giants situation. And I'm just kind of jumping in without you asking me, but th- th- there was no way that they were going to fire Joe Judge. He literally, to me, talked and coached his way out of a job. So you've got these guys that I feel like have no business getting fired. And then you have these guys who absolutely should be fired, but don't get fired. And who am I to say it's not my team, but I think it's really curious to see. It's fascinating. Now, and then, and then Kim... Kim, I was going to say, Kim gets the luxury to just like watch it all unfold as she has a coach and a GM who's going to be here for a while. Yeah, I I will say I have no idea behind the scenes of any other club, um, but usually there's a lot more drama going on than what you even see on the field. And a lot of that, you know, we've experienced, and I think that's one of the reasons we've had uh, success in recent years is that relationship with the coach and the GM. Not to say that's the only reason why, why, you know, owners uh, part ways with a coach or a GM, but it is important. And and when you're not aligned on those on those two things, some it's it's hard, and you start you know going through these cycles of of coaches and and GMs that are no fun at all. Believe me. Um, but uh, I I don't know what's behind every other club, but I do know that alignment uh, that you know with the coach and a GM being on the right page really, really is a big factor. Well, in it's everything, right? I mean, it's everything, right? Like Joe Judge, I, <laughs> the fact that this guy, I, I can't even believe that he got to keep his job theoretically. And then when ownership reportedly said, hey, listen, you're still our guy, but we need to see some changes. And he reportedly, allegedly kind of sat back, took it all in and said, all right. And now here are the changes that I need. I would like to have a say in who the GM is. I thought that was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard in my life, that that guy should be the luckiest guy ever to have a job. But to your point, he wanted to have a say in who the GM was because they have to have synergy. They have to have a relationship. They have to be on the same page. And those two guys, obviously, he and Gettleman, were not lockstep. Like, you want them to come in together. You look at the 49ers, right? Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Very clearly, they were on the same page. They had that relationship. And I think you guys have a really solid relationship, too. So I agree with you. It matters. It matters a lot. And I mean, you see, work with drama, right? Who it's hard enough to win. If winning in the NFL is the hardest thing in the world, how much harder is it if there's drama behind the scenes every day? 
And you see all these teams who try and accomplish getting a GM or getting a head coach if, if there's vacancies at both positions and maybe not doing it in a way in which both of these guys are in lockstep, like you said. Kim, I know that was such a priority for you guys when you were hiring Brandon and Sean. It was these guys have to work together and they had a history together too with the Carolina Panthers. And you hear that constantly too, in the way that they talk about each other. Um, Sean was asked about Joe Shane getting interviewed and Shaw said, I'm not going to talk about that guy because he's not on my staff. He's on Brandon's staff. So I'll let Brandon talk about him or anytime when you're dealing with the off season and in free agency, there's, it's not a question as who's over what it's, you know, brand is heading this up. I'm heading this up. We trust each other. And you hear that through and through and all their answers since I've been around. And it's just, I mean, it's so, it's so easy to see how well these two know each other and how well they also work together, I think on and off the field. And they're in constant communication during practice, after practice in meetings and, and it works. And, Kim, I know that's not the easiest thing to find either when you're going through interviews and trying to find somebody who's going to hopefully get you to the Super Bowl. And but first, when when you're when your division title. Yeah, no, it is not easy. And and, you know, at this year, you know, we've got both Leslie Frazier and Brian Dable going out on interviews uh, with other, you know, open positions for a head coach and on other teams. And so that's going to be another change. But but our group has been together long enough that those types of changes, I don't think will be detrimental to us. They're not going to put us backwards. I think um, a great opportunity for, for anyone on our staff, if they're able to move up and get that head coach position and they all, they, anyone, they, they deserve it. Um, but for us, the foundation, you know, go back to the Patriots, you know, they've had that happen to them multiple times. Um, maybe their offensive coordinator has been there for a while, but he had a little stint that he went and then came back. But, you know, it's, um, you know, when you have that great foundation, uh, those things happen when you're good, you're going to get picked off a lot. Um, but, but your core guys, your, your two guys leading the organization are, are together and aligned. It, it really helps. Really does. It seems to me that if nobody is coming to get your staff, then things yeah. are not going very well. But if every single year the phone is ringing, then that means that you have built something that others want to emulate. And I think that obviously, Sean, you know, the, the, the real quality people, they know this. They know this and they want what's best for the staff that helped them get to this place in the first place. So I would imagine, like Leslie, I'm not trying to hire away your guy, but we know Leslie's going to be of great interest to others. He's a great leader. He's a great coach. He's a great motivator. Players lead him. And I'm sure Sean's his biggest fan, and I'm sure Sean would hate to lose him, but would do whatever he can to help him, right? Definitely, definitely. I hope he doesn't go. I hope none of them go, but I, we all understand that it's, it's, it happens. It happens when you're good. Teams are going to start to come after you because you've had success, sustained success over the last few seasons here. So, so it makes sense, but flipping this to you, Jim, I mean, you've had sustained success in your career. You've been doing this a long time. And when you do stuff a long time, with it comes some probably pretty crazy stories. So do you have a craziest story from your time being in this business, whether it was being on the road, whether it was an interview you got to do with someone during a certain story that was breaking? I know everybody has points in their career where they're like, I am not going to remember, I'm not going to forget that I got to cover this experience or, or this event, um, because what we get to do is something that a lot of people wish they got to do every single day. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I, I've been really fortunate. I mean, <laughs> it's actually pretty hilarious. I, I've, I'm at a point in my life, like when I first got in, 
Maddie, I was like, I was young and brash and everybody I interviewed was older than me. And now everybody I interview <laughs> is younger than me. I, I interview kids. I interview guys in the Hall of Fame who have kids in the NFL. Like my whole goal now is to start interviewing grandkids. Like I want to be in the game that long. So I, I literally have seen pretty much everything because I've done this for almost 30 years now. You know, in terms of the wild, wild stories, you know, obviously the one wild story, of course, was Jim Everett coming over the table. And it, it, that in and, itself, in and of itself is really funny because that's all anybody ever wanted to talk about for like 25 years. And now it's been so long that there are actually people that don't even know about it. Like there was a point in time where everybody in the history of the world knew about that. And I couldn't walk off a curb anywhere without somebody getting in my face to ask me about that. And now I actually meet people and I'm offended if they don't know about it. So, you know, that was a really wild, crazy thing because that was live TV. And I, I could go on for hours about what happened that night in those five minutes. But for the record, the short and the end of it was that that was not set up. That was not a fix. That was not a plant. That, that literally was a very different time in my life where when I first got into the business, I was pretty aggressive. And I would say things that other people were not going to say, like for better or for worse. Like I'm not the most talented guy. I'm not the smartest guy. But the one thing, the two things I had, I got very lucky with timing. I got very lucky in timing. And the one thing I did have, I thought long and hard that if I ever made it or got an opportunity to be on the air, I had an idea of what I wanted to do with that opportunity. And I wanted to be different. I had an idea for a talk show that was different than anything I'd heard at that point. And I was not going to just be that guy with this big radio voice and be the answer man. I was going to come with takes and opinions. And I was going to back them up with facts. And I was going to do strong interviews. But I was pretty brash. And frankly, I was, I was talking some And <laughs> but, but the thing was, back then when I started, the athletes kind of respected it. And they were it was jocular. Like they'd give it back. And I'd give it back. And we'd have fun except that wasn't fun that night. And he, it didn't go that way that I, that I thought it was going to go, but I want to be very clear about this. He knew we, we discussed it with him. We were very, very clear and upfront. I did not sandbag Jim Everett. I was not lying in wait. I was not trying to make a name for myself. My producer got on the phone with him and said, you know that he has called you Chris on the radio. Yes, I know. You know that he's going to say it to your face because he would never say something on the radio and then not say to that person and look them in the eye and say it. Yes, I know. However, we want to be so clear about this. We so respect the opportunity. It's a one hour show. There are so many other things to talk about. It's not just going to be about that, but it's going to come up. Are you okay with that? Because if you're not, let's not do this. Nobody's ever had a bad experience on this show. We don't want a bad experience. He's like, I get it. I know where I'm going. I want to be on this show. And then it just got away. It just got away from me. He was upset. The table got flipped. Coffee was spilled. And then the next thing you know, I'm Tanya Harding. And I got my 15 minutes. And they're killing me on Saturday Night Live. They're killing me everywhere. Katie Cork is having a field day at my expense. And, you know, there was no social media. I would imagine this would have gone very differently back then if there was social media. But it was a very real concern. You know, like, is my career over? Like, I'm just getting started. I'm off to a great start. What if they don't renew my contract? What if this is it? So that was, that was a real thing at the time. Now we laugh about it. Now it's a favorite uh, famous TV moment. But when you say to me, any, any weird famous things ever happened? <laughs> Certainly that. And that was something I had to fight through for sure.
Yeah. Well, it's interesting, Jim, because I think now because of, of where we are, maybe socially in the world, political, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, have you come, is there an instance where you really kind of have to say, okay, now, now I have to watch what I say, um, because certainly there's been headlines, storylines of, you know, broadcast, television, celebrities, you, you name it, even athletes, even owners um, who, you know, have said the wrong thing. Maybe at some time it was okay or politically correct to say it. In today's world, everybody is watching. Everybody has an opinion and um, it, it can really go the wrong way, even if the intent is not there. So do you feel like you have to kind of hold back a little bit or, or do you feel like you can still be yourself? And even, even with players too, because I know if players get pushed in the wrong direction, whether if they can take it or not, sometimes they're like, you know what? I don't need to do any more interviews with you or, or I'm good. Like you said, social media is so big nowadays. Players really have their own platform that they can use for themselves and they don't necessarily need us for anything. So sometimes when they come on to do stuff with us or do stuff with you, it's like, wow, thanks for taking your right. time to do something with me. And I know I can lose that so quickly. Yes, no, that means the world to me. I, I, I mean this sincerely. When I say thank you to the Bills for availing players and star players, I, I know they don't have to do it. I know they do not have to do it. They can go directly to the fans, and I still want that access. I still need that access, so I appreciate that. And to the original question, I mean, yes, <laughs> we're playing without a net. We've all been playing without a net for a long time. You know, but the fact of the matter is the world changes, and there are things – I can't believe some of the crap that I used to do back in the day when I was young and on the way up that was acceptable and it was appropriate. It would never be appropriate right now, but I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. The world has changed. And I used to, it's funny, I used to say to myself, the one thing this world does not need, I got this when I was 30, I understood this. The last thing this world is going to need is a 50 year old smack talker. Nobody wants that, nobody needs that. And yet now I'm 57 and I'm still trying to stay in the game. So you know what the world needs right now? A 57-year-old smack talker. So I, I don't do the things I used to do. I don't say some of the things I used to say because they're no better. However, the challenge is how do you make it dangerous? How do you make it compelling? How do you give them a reason to come in? Because there's so many different ways for them to get their information. We talk about this all the time as a staff. Like literally everybody can plant their flag. If you have one of these, you have a show. Hello, everybody has a show now. So if there's this fierce firefight to be seen and heard, how do you get people to come to your program without being contrived and manufactured and saying garbage to say garbage? It's really tricky because you don't want to go too far because you, to that point, I could say one thing after a, a radio, literally, I'm in the Radio Hall of Fame for better or for worse. They let me in for some reason. I could say one thing and it could all go up in a second. But if you're so safe and so conservative and you don't give the people what they want on any level because you're playing scared, then you're going to lose too, right? It's a really fine line and a really challenging thing to do right now. Yeah, definitely. One thing I think that sports, though, gives us is I feel like our lives change because we're in sports in a way that a lot of different doors are open. Uh, we get to experience a lot of different things, do a lot of different things because of the avenue of sports. It's something that you've gotten to be involved with, and I'm sure it's because of your involvement with sports, is horse racing. 
How did you get into that? Did you ever think that was going to be a part of your life? And where is it at right now? Ladies, I, I could go 24 hours straight without coming up for air on the, my horse racing life. Really, I'll try to make this as quickly as possible so not to take too much of your time. So there was a guy in Southern California by the name of Billy Koch, and he had a racing syndicate. It was his job to find people to buy pieces of racehorses. That way it was affordable. So he would just buy a piece, 5%, 2%, 10%, and he would syndicate it. And I would go to Del Mar since I'm from Southern California once or twice a summer, have a cocktail, have a good time. But I didn't really care about it. And for some reason, this guy always knew the second I hit that area code, he was on me. Like, you you would love this. You would love this. You need to buy a horse. And I would always say, I don't want to buy a horse. I just want to come to the track and watch it and have a good time. And there was a time when my wife and I, Janet, had a house where our offices were butted up against each other, offices. And one day, this email pops in at the same time because I can hear it in both offices. And she says to me, do you want to do it? I said, do I want to do what? She said, do you want to buy a piece of a racehorse? I said, oh my God, you too? No, I don't want to do that. And she said, you know what? You, you should, we should, you need a hobby, get out of the house. All you do is work. This was years ago. I'm like, you want to buy a piece of a racehorse? All right. All right, let's do this. Let's buy a piece of a racehorse. I buy 10% of this racehorse. I go to the race. He's running dead last. I think I'm the easiest mark ever. I must have dumbass on my forehead. I'm trying to put a stop on the check halfway through the race. And then the most amazing thing happened. This horse came from dead last to win the race. And I felt like somebody snuck up and injected me with equine crack. Like I, I, I couldn't believe it. My life changed in a minute. I went back to this guy and I'm like, what else is for sale? What else can I buy? How do I get more of this equine crack? And it's like walking into a casino the first time and you win, it's the worst thing that could happen. Like if that horse had finished mid-pack or if that horse had finished dead last, I probably would have had no interest, but it was, the, it was so euphoric and so amazing. I was hooked immediately. And then I got sucked into this life and the life has led to some of the most surreal, amazing moments of my entire life. And unfortunately, some of the saddest most tragic moments of my entire life. It's it's an amazing thing. End of the day, the reason I'm in it is not to make money because you might as well light your money on fire. I love the animals. And people find that hard to believe. Like, really, you, you race animals, you love the animals? Horses are so amazing. They're so amazing. The animals are so incredible. And by the way, they are athletes. I've been following athletes for 30 plus years. They are incredible athletes with personalities. And like athletes, some of them try really hard and some have incredible heart. But if you ever got around a thoroughbred horse and you could see it, you know what I'm talking about. It's amazing. Terry's well, allergic to horses, so I've, I've never had the opportunity to be around horses or, or racing. But but I do know, you know, we do. You're right. We call athletes thoroughbreds. You know, we use, we, yes. we use those terms interchangeably. And, uh, of course, I've seen all the, the Hollywood movies on some of the, the famous horses that um that bring a personality so um but it's always fun to to have a passion for something else um i my passion is baking it's not quite as exciting as 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 horses and horse rating um and uh makes you gain weight but um but yeah having that passion is something that you don't normally do on a day-to-day -day, even if it's a day-to-day -day thing you do but um your work is i i find that is really important for that life. Right, it, it, it's, so, it's so true. Like my wife even would say, oh my gosh, like you have more pictures of the horses than me and the kids. You, <laughs> all you do is talk about those horses, but I, I don't, some, it just, something struck a nerve. They're amazing. They are amazing and they're beautiful and they're majestic. 
and they're competitive and, and they're all different. You know, like some are really sweet. Some are super sweet. And I've had some that are absolutely ferocious and I've been bitten by thoroughbreds. I learned that early on. We had a championship horse. He was actually a horse named Share Belief. He tragically passed away. He died suddenly when he was five, but he was the top ranked thoroughbred in the entire world, which I, I can't even tell you the, the odds of that happening. And he was like this little gelding. And look at this sweet little thing. And he took a chunk out of me. I've got a scar on my arm that's like a tattoo. There's like a badge of honor. But you you learn early on. My God, the same guy, Billy Koch, says, dude, dude. He told me two things. One, they are not pets. They are not pets. And number two, he said, you know what your problem is, Jim? You fall in love with every one of the horses. It's a business. I said, this is not my problem. The reason I'm in your crazy business is because I fall in love with every one of the horses. And I do. Well, next time you get a player on, I've got a suggestion for you. If you haven't had Ed Oliver on yet, you should definitely have him on because he's got a couple horses. They're not in Buffalo, but he has, I want to say five, maybe more than that horses that he absolutely loves and, and was raised riding horses and continues to have them today. He, you know, he, Big Ed. Oh, he's playing well too, isn't he? Big Ed's playing well right now. I think he's really key in this matchup. Horse people understand. I, You guys are good to kind of placate me a little bit and let me talk about that. And thank you very much. It's a really hard thing to explain. But here's the irony. Horse people know, but then there are horse people in the game that don't love the animal. And I don't even understand that. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic. It really is. I happen to love them personally. Well, that's really cool. Thanks for coming on the podcast with us and just talking about a wide array and variety of topics from football to crazy interviews to horses. I think we about covered everything. You guys are absolutely awesome. I will reiterate why on the biggest home game in years, you came looking for me, but I'm very glad that you did. <laughs> I, I know that you're like me, probably it's it's taking a while to get to Saturday, man. You want that clock to spin a little faster, but it's going to happen and the entire nation is going to be watching and you know I will be talking about it Monday on my program. So I can't wait. Good luck on Saturday. Well, thank you, Jim. It, it is going to be a long day on Saturday. That Those eight o'clock games, it just makes the days <laughs> just go so long, uh, unfortunately. But um, yes, um, all of Western New York is looking forward to Saturday. And thank you so much for being on, on the show. And we love you back. It was a blast. I so enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you and good Thanks. luck. So, Kim, we talked about this a little bit more in the intro, so we'll get into it um, some more right here, right now, as we close out this podcast. And Jim Rome helped set us up with just how intense, how wonderful this matchup is going to be between two teams who know each other really well. I mean, you, you draw the Patriots here the third time we're playing this team this season. I know a lot of people were probably like, dang it, I only want to see them twice in the season. I don't want to have to play this team a third time, but you know what? It's on the schedule, so we're just going to have to do it. So, Kim, did you ever think we'd be playing a team three times in the same season, let alone in December and January? You know what? I really never thought about it. And I remember after our game with the Jets last week, you know, coach came by the office after the game and, and I said to coach, I said, you know, I said, what? what team do you hope we play, right? Because at that time, you know, it was still up in the air mm -hmm. who we would be playing. And he, he shook his head at me and he said, he's like, oh, Kim, you can't ask me that question. He said, I've learned, I have learned over the years, you get who you get. 
and that's that's the card you're dealt with and that's what you're going to focus on it doesn't matter what you want or who you want to play or who you hope you're going to play so he said i'm just going to go home and go to bed and whoever we play is is whoever i want to play uh so um so i i took that to heart and so but again yes the patriots i i our fan base gets um i'm certainly psyched for to play the patriots at any time and being in a playoff game as you said, we have not played them since what year? 1963, before okay. the Super Bowl era. All right. So 63 was before I was born, certainly before you were born. So, so this is quite a matchup uh, in the history of having these two teams. So, and again, both of us, we won in different ways, right? Like, you know, um, the Patriots, who would have thought that they would be in the playoffs, you know, two years from from uh, Tom Brady being gone, um, you know, everyone had us winning the AFC before the season even started this year, right? So um, it, it's it's a long path. I think both teams will be excited to be here, but no doubt uh, it is going to be a, a big stress, anxiety, just yes. hyped up game uh, because of who we are playing. <laughs> and then how does your schedule change throughout the playoffs like are you doing anything differently leading up to the game does your game day activities look any different or are you kind of someone who likes to keep the same type of schedule um that you do in the regular uh, it, it did change a little bit because we now have quote enhanced protocols in terms of of the players and the team and the organizations as you know maddie so um i lost my office <laughs> in these enhanced protocols just to make to give you know our tier three folks um, the ability to, you know, as, as we still have games to put on, but um, so I lost my office. I actually don't have an office at the bills anymore. Um, I go into my husband's office there. Um, so it all is going to depend on what happens and then when we play um, the following week. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And like I said, continue, um, hopefully continue with that Super Bowl and playoff planning um, and budgeting and, and Believe it or not, there's a lot of things to wrap up at the end of the season uh, that come that comes pretty fast because once you know the game is 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 done, your last game is done, like everyone's just out of here. So, um, so a lot of planning, um, a lot of those types of things happen, um, and then it got a little you know little stadium thing. I'm still you know trying to to figure out that we got going on, and so those things, those discussions, um, the planning around that. So that's a little bit different than my normal postseason uh, year, um, especially this year. But um, but hopefully we're yeah all all good problems, good things to keep busy doing uh, in the postseason. So no yeah, definitely on my end. It sounds like you're not close to an off season, regardless of if we win or lose. Hopefully we win a few off more games season. to get us into no the Super Bowl. But even after our season is over, sounds like you won't have much of an off season, which is nothing different because I know you always fill up your off seasons with, with something, some big projects. <laughs> Uh, nope, this is, like I said, no complaints here. Yeah, all good problems to have. We are so excited for some Saturday night football for Wild Card Weekend to see what this team can do that we've been cheering on all season. That has really gotten hot to end the regular season. Four straight wins. Uh, hopefully that win streak 
can keep on keeping on and hopefully we can see the best of Josh Allen on Saturday night. I'm really excited to see what our quarterback can do in really cold temperatures with his offense that he has in place. So, so many things to look forward to. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in for another episode. We're going to have definitely more on the horizon. So make sure you check in next week. Kim, thanks for joining us too. Saturday. And I'll see you here in Buffalo. All right. See you Saturday. See you on Saturday. Bye guys.